Okay, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you. If not, it'll come up on the screen. We are returning to the book of Mark, and we will read verses 1 through 12 of Mark chapter 10. This will be the first part of a two-part series, uh, because when we begin to talk about these matters, obviously there are books and questions and all of that, so... Uh, I wanted to slow down, and we will cover verses 1 through 9, and then next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we will take a look at verses 10 and 11 um, and some of the complications of marriage. So this morning is the beauty of marriage, which we might find interesting because um, if your Bible is anything like mine, the heading above it is the question of divorce. So it almost seems to be more of, uh, when you read it initially, more about divorce, but Jesus does interesting things. Uh, He makes it more about the beauty of marriage. And so we want to look at that this morning. So Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. The crowds converged on him again. As was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We have been traveling through the book of Mark, and Mark chapter 9 and 10 are very subversive chapters. By subversive, we mean not just that Jesus comes along and he undermines power and authority uh, in culture, but he undermines power and authority in our lives. He turns our lives upside down. When we come to a passage on marriage, obviously we know that it is uh, very controversial, but if we have studied Mark, well, the book of Mark up to chapter 10, and if you study the life of Jesus, The life of Jesus is very controversial. The life of Jesus is very subversive. He comes at things vastly different than we would ever uh, understand matters of morality or matters uh, that were established in the creation order. For example, we have been talking about after Jesus has shared that he is going to die on the cross and he emphasizes his suffering, he says this, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Who says stuff like that? Who says if you're going to save your life, you lose your life, but if you try to save your, or if, and if you lose your life, you save your life for the sake of the gospel? That's subversive. 
that changes our entire world. It changes our thinking. It changes our hearts. The second uh, Jesus talks um, again about going to the cross, but this time he em- emphasizes betrayal. And he says, we're going to be a betrayed people. We're not going to get along well with the world. And then he says this, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Again, who says stuff like that? That if you want to be first, you're going to be last. You're going to be the servant of all. That changes our direction. That changes our heart. The gospel that Jesus brings is offensive. It is disturbing. Jesus does not come to make peace. Jesus comes to reveal our heart and see that we're at war with God and we need a new heart. We need a new direction. And it begins with repentance and belief. Who lives that way where you live to lose in order to gain? Who lives that way where you become a servant of all? And then we come to the passage today where Jesus talks about marriage after he's questioned about divorce. And not only are we introduced as we were into a world of suffering and a world of betrayal, but now we're introduced into a world of broken relationships. How do you find peace in broken relationships? That's what Jesus says, and we divide our Bibles up into chapters and verses, and it's good, but if we're to read it in context, the verse before we read about the question of divorce is Mark chapter 9, verse 50, which says, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how can you season it? Don't become a saltless believer, ineffective. Uh, And then he says this, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. How do we live at peace with one another? How do we live in peace within our marriage relationships? So that's what we want to take a look at. And as you know, peace is not just the absence of argument, but peace is also the sense of wholeness in brokenness. Where Where there's brokenness, God makes us whole. Where there's despair, God fills in those gaps and makes us whole in Christ. When our world feels empty, there's wholeness, there's peace, there's a sense of quiet, calm in our hearts. So, what does peace look like in relationships? What does peace look like in marriage? So we're going to divide the passage up into two parts. The first part is we're going to take a look at our hearts. Jesus reveals our heart. The the Pharisees ask a question. Jesus takes that as an opportunity to say, when your words speak, this is what's going on inside of your heart. And then after we talk about our hearts, we're going to talk about God's heart. So our heart, God lets us do whatever we want. God lets us do whatever we want. That is pretty much a good definition of what it is to have a sinful heart or to have a hard heart. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why do you lack peace in your relationship? Why is there, and, and by extension, if you're not married uh, this morning, you can ask yourself this question also as a single person. Whatever relationship you might be in. But what is it that there can be, why is it that there can be such a lack of peace in our relationship? You go out for coffee with somebody, and they just, let's, they bought the coffee, so they're allowed to ask the first question, and they ask you, so why do we lack peace in our relationships? Why do you lack peace in your relationship? 
It's a good question. You probably think if somebody could answer that, they, they could write a really good book about that. Because it's a question that's on a lot of people's hearts. Again, Jesus is going to be offensive. Jesus is going to be subversive. He says that we lack peace in our relationships because of our hearts. Because of how our hearts even read and understand Scripture. A good definition of sin, I mean, there's the theological definitions. This is probably more of a practical definition, and we see it worked out uh, when Jesus confronts the Pharisees. He's, a good definition is, we believe God lets us do whatever we want. That's a good practical definition of sin. We believe God lets us do whatever we want, and we can add to that, and God's okay, and we think God's okay with it, and we think we'll be better for it. You know, we don't, we don't have to live that long as children when we complain uh, at a very young age that our parents don't let us do whatever we want, to eat whatever we want to eat. God comes along to the Pharisees and says, your question basically is, you want God to let you do whatever you want, and you think God will be okay with it, and you think that it's better for you, that it will make you happy. Well, where do we get this from the text? Mark chapter 10, verse 1 says this, He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. The crowds converged on him again, as was his custom, he taught them again. Now, we might just read that as a, as a geographical statement, and in some ways it is, but if you know where John the Baptist ministered, you know that Jesus came back to John the Baptist territory. And if you were to go back to Mark chapter 6, you would read in Mark chapter 6 that John the Baptist spoke out against King Herod's relationship with Herodias, who used to be Philip's wife, and he publicly disagreed with that. The royal family didn't like him. They throw him in prison, and his head ends up being cut off. It is no mistake that the religious leaders asked Jesus about a question, or a question about marriage in John the Baptist's territory. But what we see in verse 1 is that we learn about the world of marriage, the wor about the world and marriage. In other words, the world will often have a different view of marriage and relationships. Jesus entered into a world that would disagree with what he says little later on in the passage. John spoke out about marriage in a culture that disagreed with his understanding and view of marriage. In other words, Jesus lived in a world and culture which would disagree with his words on marriage, and yet he would still bring us back to the beginning and talk about a one-man, one-woman, lifelong relationship. It is not surprising that the culture would disagree with Jesus. And if you hold to the words of Jesus, the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, and the clarity of Scripture, it is not surprising that culture would disagree and fight hard to define what they believe relationships would be. And so it should come as no shock to us that we live in a culture which has done the same thing. But Jesus has gone before us. The first thing that we learn about our hearts is 
in a, the world and marriage will often dis, be in disagreement with how Jesus defined marriage. The second thing that we read goes to chapter 10, verse 2. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Notice the question is not, how do you make a marriage thrive? Notice the question is not, what makes a profoundly restful and peaceful marriage? Their question, in part trying to trap Jesus, is, well, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Even more interesting, Jesus says, well, let's go back to the law. One of the main passages that they worked through at that time was Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. I'll just read it to you. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds some indecent, something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. The big discussion back then was what it meant for her to become displeasing. And if you were actually to read the rest, I think it's to verse 6 or 7, the rest is basically trying to protect the woman um, because God would give this verse 1 uh, because of the hardness of the hearts of the people. So what was the interpretation of the law? What was the interpretation that the religious leaders came up with? Verse 4, they said, so what did Moses command you? Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, if a man marries a woman, she becomes displeasing to him, he can write her a certificate of divorce. This was how they interpreted it. They didn't interpret it like Jesus would interpret it. They interpreted it this way. Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. Basically, the interpretation, how they interpreted Scripture was, God lets us do anything we want. We just have to become displeased with our wives. We can write her a certificate of divorce, and then uh, she has to walk away. Their how they read Scripture, even though they had the same words of the beginning, was God, when it comes to Scripture, allows us to interpret what God has written in his word, and we can interpret it in such a way where we say, well, God permits divorce for any reason. That's what they're basically saying. God permits divorce for any reason. God wrote that command, Jesus says, because of the hardness of your hearts. Verse 5, but Jesus, but Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. He didn't write it. Because divorce is favorable. He wrote it because of the hardness of their hearts. And because they would live in the hardness of their hearts. And it would actually be better that that took place at that time because of the hardness of their hearts. I think primarily for the protection of women back then. So... The question in verses 1 through 5 is, why do we lack peace? We lack peace because sin is real. And sin is dangerous. And our hearts are deceitful. And part of the deceitfulness of our hearts is we quickly devalue what God has brought value to. Verses 1 through 5 give us an understanding of how we can understand marriage in our culture with the Word of God. 
we can easily begin to think, well, maybe the culture is right with how they define and have redefined marriage. So we begin to, to read Scripture in light of culture. And we will also read Scripture and interpret Scripture in such a way where we hold God lets us do pretty much whatever we please. Because of the deceitfulness of our hearts and the hardness of our hearts that remain, it is very easy to make Scripture say something that it was never meant to say. And so that's why Jesus comes and he becomes offensive to the Pharisees and said, you have just interpreted Scripture wrong. If you had understood uh, Deuteronomy 24.1, you would understand that it was because of the hardness of your heart. Now, I want to give hope here because... Uh, the Bible never leaves us without hope. How do we battle the hardness of our heart? How do we read Scripture and live in a culture? And if you, it'll come up on the screen, but if you have it in your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 19. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 19, this is the passage just before it talks about marriage, about wives and husbands submiss- submitting and headship. So this is preparing... Uh, in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. This is preparing the readers to understand marriage. So, how do we understand marriage? What does it mean uh, to find, where do we find peace in our relationships? How do we read Scripture so that we battle the hardness of our heart, so that we don't cave into the cultural pressures, and we don't interpret Scripture according to the desires of our heart, but we submit ourselves to the sovereignty of God and His wisdom and His goodness? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, pay careful attention then how you, to how you live. If that's all that we took away this morning, that is such a good start. Do, you even, do we pay attention? Are we purposeful in our living? Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. We live in evil days. We will live in evil days until our death or until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The days that we live in now are not new. It has always been that way. At some level, the church has always faced, the teachings of Jesus have always faced a a deep level of criticism and hatred. Because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? The Lord's will is that marriage is a binding, lifelong covenant until death do us part for male, female, in a, in a deep, peaceful, God-honoring relationship. Understand what God's will is 
And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. There's the hope. And as you know God's will, as you study His will, the Spirit brings out God's Word into, from our lives, and, or from our hearts into our lives, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. In other words, the Word of God comes out of your heart. And what do you do when the Word of God comes out of your heart? You give thanks always for everything. God, we live in a culture like this. My heart is like this. Your Word says this. I give thanks for your Word. Give me the strength to stand firm. Give me the strength to stand for the glory of God, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. What is the, it, we get all bent out of shape about submitting. What is he saying with submitting? He is saying, if you are in any relationship, your greatest battle and my greatest battle will be selfishness. It will be what Jesus spoke about in Mark chapter 9, about becoming the servant of all. You want to revolutionize your marriage? And I'm not saying it's this simple, but at least the beginning place is not even submitting one another in the fear of Christ, but it is saying, how am I living? Verse 15, how am I living? How am I making the most of my time? Do I even know what the Lord's will is? Do I give thanks for God's word, as difficult as it is, to lose my life in order to gain my life, so that I submit, to first of all, to God and then to one another? So that's a beginning place. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, becomes a meditation piece in our heart for us to battle against culture and then battle against um, the, the remaining deceitfulness in our hearts. It ends up with thanksgiving. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is clear. Thank you that it is sufficient. And thank you for your spirit, which enables me to live when I do not always understand everything the way that I should. So if that's our heart, if the, if the Pharisees have come along and said, well, you know what, God permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away, um, and that becomes at least an interpretation of Scripture when it comes to marriage, Jesus comes along and says, listen, I wrote that, or God wrote that because of the hardness of your heart in your hearts so what does jesus do now after he has revealed my heart and your heart he now reveals god's heart he has revealed our hearts and now he's going to reveal our hearts and when god's heart is revealed we are told about the beauty of marriage if we are going to battle divorce if we are going to battle uh, for peace in our relationships it begins with understanding how God has created marriage beautiful. I just want to say that again because we live in a culture that questions almost every aspect of how God ordered marriage. God has made marriage beautiful. If you're single this morning, God has made singleness beautiful. As you create relationships with others around you. God has created family relationships beautiful. 